Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet. I'm Sinead. And I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast exploring the lives of the great poisoners and poisoning cases from across the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the tales that we tell. And it's episode 38. Woo! On the eve of lockdown. On the eve of lockdown is when we recorded this. (laughs) It comes out in the midst of lockdown. (laughs) That's true. That wasn't quite as dramatic as I thought it was going to be. To anyone who is uh, in in lockdown and this is their only salvation. This podcast... This is it. This is what's going to get I'm you sure, through. Absolutely, this is often the case. Oh yeah, don't you even look out the window, guys. It's an <laughs> apocalypse out there. This podcast is the only thing that you Terrifying need. Terrifying place. How are you, Nick? I'm all right. Mm, all right. It's all right. Yeah, UK is going into lockdown stage two. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. So this is the last podcast we will be doing in person. No. The rest of them will be via Zoom. Ah, we've so, done it before. We've done it before. We'll do it again. Yes, indeed. We don't have to see each other's horrible faces. Thank God for oh, that. Oh, God, it's just every it is a blessing, week is really. an ordeal. It's a blessing. I joke, I'll miss you. <laughs> uh, but you've been away this, this weekend. You managed to get away. I managed to get away a few days arranged before the lockdown was announced, so fantastically well-timed. Yes, a little, just a little staycation. A little oldie cottage with a big fire and gallons of wine. Nice. Um, and it was very pleasant. Oh, everyone, everyone has been away. And I was, I was sensible. I was like, no, I won't book anywhere to go. It's irresponsible. And there's a couple of people I follow on Instagram and who are travel writers. And one of them was, it went away to Greece for work. And it's just like, I'm just going to stay in Greece for lockdown. Just staying yeah. in Athens in a beautiful villa. And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, I didn't, didn't quite go that far. I, well, yeah, I went to a cottage on the main road. Um, so. <laughs> but you recreated the Greek myths when you were there. So, not quite that exciting. But it was nice to escape for a bit. Oh, well, well, any poisonings on your journey? I mean, my liver is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it just gone? It's just gone. <laughs> and you did have company when you were away. I did have uh, company, yes. I went with a friend. <laughs> I went with our expert witness, um, Miss Rowena Bond. Yay! So, he's a good friend of mine. So, and Mr. Nate. That's nice. I wasn't invited you weren't invited no, no it's, I, I had other things to do with my other friends yes you did Mr. Jack and Mr. Daniels <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what we should do while we're on this uh, outpouring of love and strangeness you're an outpouring of love I'm an you're outpouring. an outpouring of strangeness rage and hatred well in that vein perhaps we should thank our Patreon subscribers in the, the vein of rage and hatred <laughs> yes <laughs> thank you <laughs> we love them because they're very they sexy they are marvellous indeed thank and they're very wonderful much. I'm somewhat amazed that we're approaching a hundred, a hundred people who actually voluntarily give up their hard-earned cash to listen to us witter on. Thank you so much to everyone out there who does Gen- listen to us on Patreon. And if you don't, where are you? Yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, we we really, from the bottom of our hearts, as much as we joke, we so appreciate all of our Patreon subscribers, all of our fans and all of our listeners. It means so much to us. It it really makes a difference. Obviously, we're about to go into lockdown. There's a lot of artists and a lot of people out there struggling. Um, so every little helps. We so appreciate your support. We love you. Thank you. But especially this week, we love. Indeed, we do. Indeed, we do. We do. We do. Thank you so much to um, to M Wag. To Kareem Todd. Um, and to Helen Hodge. Thank you. Thank you, you darling people. Well, Nick. Yes. Are you ready to drink cocktails and talk about poison? Oh. It was a simple question, Nick. <laughs> 
I pre- no! There we go. There it is. There it is. We could <laughs> drink poison and talk about cocktails. You sound so excited by that prospect. <laughs> I'm just getting ready for lockdown. I'm going to go with a with a potentially of a cocktail. I have an interesting one. Okay, so we'll go with the first one. We're going to go with the first one. Go with the first one. Go with the first one. Yay! Well, if we're going to talk about poison, we can't. We can't. We can't possibly do that without a cocktail in hand. Such a thing would be madness. And every week we create a cocktail that is inspired by the tale that we tell, and it features a secret ingredient that will flavour our beverage of the week. And so, Nick, it's your story. It is. And the secret ingredient is... Is is wine. Wine? Is red wine. Red wine. Okay. So I'm excited for this. I'm intrigued by this. I Um, like a red wine. Yeah, well, indeed, I have a glass of the red wine on the go at the moment. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. It comes to me on recommendation, and I just hope I can do it justice. Red wine, the only red wine cocktails I know of, the only ones that are coming to my head, and I know loads of our listeners have jumped in with, hey, there's this red wine cocktail, really great suggestions. (laughs) All I can think of is, is in Spain, they drink red wine and Diet Coke. Or Coke. Yeah, they're also doing that in China as well. Yeah. Uh, what, um, is, what is up with that? I, I mean, know. I've never tried it. I don't know why it is. Um, it seems a dreadful, dreadful thing to do. A terrible thing to um, do to a fine wine. Indeed. Or a Diet Coke. Well, yes, exactly. Both those perfectly <laughs> lovely beverages on their own. I would never think to mix them, I must admit. Blasphemy. So, no, I haven't made that one. Oh, um, so, with red wine then, yes. what have you come up with? Well, we have got... I have no idea why it's called this. The cocktail is called the JFK Harris. No okay. idea why it's called the JFK Harris. JFK Harris. Um, it's an, I've, in the book I've got, it's, um, it doesn't offer an explanation as to why it is called that. Yep, I don't know. But it's... Um, I know I, I bang on about the Diffords book an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, but if you're into cocktails, there's another book called Regarding Cocktails. Um, by a chap called Sasha Petrasky, and I probably pronounced that horribly wrong. Uh, unfortunately, now passed away. But one of the main people behind the resurgence of cocktails, wow. um, he opened up Milk and Honey in New York, um, oh. and so he was the he was one of the first people who, behind this sort of recent resurgence in in cocktails and um, making exquisite drinks. And this is a book with a lot of his recipes in and a lot of anecdotes about his life and reminiscences of people. And it is a stunning book just to sit and read. And this is one of the cocktails from there. So I very much recommend the book. We'll share a picture of the book maybe when we do the Mm, cocktail. Yeah, guys, buy it. Because obviously you know about Diffords, but yeah, let's buy the book. Okay, so JFK Harris. Now I'm just thinking about what the hell the Harris was the connection to. I could look it up, but maybe you (laughs) listeners can tell me. It wasn't the car. I'm just immediately going to his assassin. I mean, he had many, many years before he was killed that we could talk about. All right, I'm going to move on from the JFK conspiracies and go into the Poisonous Cabinet kitchen and shake up a storm. So see you in a minute. See you in a bit. And we're back. Hello. Woo! A JFK Harris. A JFK Harris, indeed. At, and now you've since discovered what I JFK... Did, uh, yeah, I actually, I did investigate um, and I found out uh, what the JFK Harris has some sort nothing to do with JFK hmm. um, actually the initials of uh, a dear friend of the person who concocted this cocktail um, ah. that is where the, the name comes from that's lovely and when you say investigate do you mean you just read further down the I page I read further down the page and the little notes <laughs> at the bottom no I got more books out I googled things I phoned up the author um, <laughs> Who's and, dead. <laughs> and found out this endearing story, or I read further. But a JFK Harris. So this one looks damn pretty. It looks amazing. It really does. Um, this is one of the best looking drinks I've ever seen. It does look stunning. So I'm hoping it's going to taste. It's, I mean, it's a very strange combination of ingredients. It's certainly not stuffing that I would ordinarily put together. <laughs> okay, talk um, us through it. So it's a rum-based drink. So it's a variation of a mojito, basically. So you've got rum. Oh, okay. um, you have got a bit of mint. Nice. Uh, you have got lemon. Nice. And sugar. Um, so it's those all mixed together yeah and then with a layer of i mean it's a fraction it's like a quarter of an ounce of red wine mm. uh floated on top yes because oh, um, it is probably floated it looks it yeah. looks almost halloweeny so what was this in spooky week <laughs> indeed so you know no, you, if you look at the pictures that will be out later this evening you'll see the the very definite layering um yeah. of those two things which i did not think it was going to work as as well as it has oh my god so i uh, yeah i'm just intrigued to I'm so excited. To try it. Okay. So Should we dive in and Let's try give it, it a go. I can't wait a moment longer. Right. Indeed. So, JFK Harris, cheers. Mm. Cheers. Mmm. I think that's really nice. It's really nice. That red wine works actually surprisingly no, well. <laughs> can I taste the red wine? Well, I can. Nick, can I taste yeah, it? I don't well, know. Well, I, I can. Um, Let me just try it again. Hang on. You do get a hint of it because it, it stays on top, so you yeah. get a mouthful of it. No, it's delicious. But though. that's... I'm, delighted about how lovely that is that's really nice 
I mean, it's better than a mojito, in my opinion. I really like that. I'm, I really like I'm that. really surprised. It's a really nice mixture of flavours. The nice red wine is. on top adds... Yeah, it, I don't know what it is. Well, that must be the, the little bit of umami, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it must be the little extra thing that I'm going, I don't know what it is. It's a bit of wine. <laughs> it's wine. Yes. Um, now, now no. do you want to talk us through what <laughs> happened with this drink accidentally? Okay, <laughs> full confession. I forgot to buy fresh mint on my way home this mm. evening. So I was like racking my brains of what have I got in the house? I thought, well, I've got creme de menthe. That can be about overpowering. Oh, I've got some mint tea bags. Which are made from fresh mint. Which are made from mint. Okay, well, I'll put a tea bag into the shaker <laughs> and see how it goes. Um, it did not... It, the tea bag unsurprisingly split. Um, so it is a rather textured... I'm going to go textured cocktail. Full disclosure as well. While I'm laughing at this, I'm laughing at it, hearing it back, of how ridiculous an idea it was. She was me, all behind I, me I was this. here, Nick's housemate. We were all... Like, totally, mate. Oh, yeah. You know what you want to do? You want to get a tea bag. Tea bag in there. <laughs> now I hear it. Now I hear it. And like, oh, my so God. It's, it's, yeah, do that? it's foolproof. Um, <laughs> um, so I did that with a tea bag, and I tried it, and I wasn't getting any other mint at all. So I did have a drop of creme de menthe. Mm-hmm. which has I thought it was going to be overpowering but it was the tiniest of drops yeah, and I make idea. these cocktails in quantities of two for enough for both of us probably an eighth of an ounce for two cocktails sort of thing so yeah. the tiniest of amounts and it works and I think it's worked because there is a slight hint yeah. ever so slightly in the background but it's not overpowering at all of course Freshman would have been so much better, but I'm desperately disorganised. I didn't think have I, I like it, and again, I've I've gone a bit weird on fresh mint in in cocktails. I, I grow it at home. I decided this summer I shall grow lots of mint and use it in cocktails, and then I put them in cocktails and go, I don't like it. So, I, I have it in mint tea. I make my own mint tea, but I think it can be overpowering in cocktails because once you get it, it, it is even the smallest amount of mint leaves. It's like spearmint. It's like toothpaste, and it overpowers the drink. So this, whatever you've done, it works. With a little hint of the the creme de menthe and the and the tea baggy goodness <laughs> I, I think the tea, the tea baggy goodness has, has added nothing to it at all it, it, um, it's made it look herby it's made it look herby <laughs> indeed um so i'm intrigued to try it actually with some fresh mint to see what difference that makes but either way i think it is a it's a damn good cocktail that is a really nice cocktail and it is a stunner as well that's yeah. a good again another good party piece much better than the brandy cruster which which is a great talking point does not look sexy no whereas this looks sexy and also this one is going to be made out of stuff you have at home it requires nothing fancy yeah. it is it is Bacardi rum, white rum, mm. lemon juice, mm. sugar, some mint, and bottle of red wine. That's stuff that everyone has everyone at has. home. And, and you, you can make this, and it looks stunning, and it is a classy cocktail. Yeah, and if you don't have fresh mint, as we've proven, just fucking improvise. <laughs> just, just improvise. Just chuck a tea bag in there. <laughs> well, we have our JFK Harris's, and I'm disappointed it's not about JFK. Because really, with the float on top, it could be to do with this assessment. Yes, I know. I, I thought you were going to go that way, but it's really not. Well, with our JFK Harris's firmly in hand. Yes. Delicious. Is it time for a story, Nick? It is time for a story. Hooray! It is time for a story. In this week, we are returning to France. France? To the land of the Marquise de Brinvilliers, yeah. uh, to Marie Lafarge, mm. to the Marquis de Sade, mm. and the notorious affair of the poisons. Indeed. A land where poisoners roam the streets and plan despicable <laughs> crimes. Okay. They do. That's what France is all about. That's what France is all about. France is a lovely place, all of our French <laughs> well, it listeners. was back then. Well, well, now you can't fucking go out. So we start our tale in 1774. Nice. Uh, where we will meet Monsieur Etienne Saint-Faul de la Motte. It's a big name. It's a big name. He's yeah. a fancy man. Provincial noble from a very ancient and well-respected noble family. He's up there. He's got a big house. People <laughs> up, like him. Up there? Up what? there in the society of... Oh, right. I was like, society. is this house on a hill? <laughs> I'm sorry, that's no. what I pictured. He was like lording it over no. everyone below him. I'm sorry. No, he's just a very fancy man. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast. 
and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Etienne Saint-Fal um, had been um, equerry to the King of France, so in charge of the King of France's horses. But when he married, he moved his family to his country estate, Bousson Cef, which was just on the outskirts of Paris. Um, he went so he could bring up his family, sort of in peace and quiet, away from the, the hustle and bustle and intrigue and stabbings of court life um, and general poisonings, as we have discovered. With the... <laughs> so off, he, off they go to their country estate. Um, and they live there happily for many years. But as their son grows older, Delamotte becomes anxious to to leave the country and return to Paris, to return to court, where he hopes to obtain a, a, a position for his son. So in May 1775, Monsieur de la Motte gives power of attorney to his wife so that she can go to into Paris and negotiate the sale of their country estate. They're going to buy some beautiful house in the centre of Paris, no doubt, moved where it's all happening. And she can get past the roaming poisoners on the street. <laughs> Well, she's probably got like a footman or something who's poking them away with a, <laughs> <laughs> with a, with a stick. Okay, um, so enough. she's she's fine. I mean, obviously, this shows great faith in his his wife. Damn straight. Um, yeah, you, you you go and do it. So yeah, so the negotiation and the finding the buyer is given down to her, but the sort of the legal, the formal side is placed in the hands of a lawyer, a chap called Monsieur Jolly. Oh, oh, how nice. Yeah, Mr. Happy. Mr. Happy. Mr. So Happy. Mr. Happy is... Oh, Mr. Jolly. Yeah, it is, was ironic that he was such a dour, sad, depressed man. Um, <laughs> drowned so, his cat. Though he is in charge of the legal side of the sale. Now, they are very fortunate that Monsieur Jolly has actually the perfect client in mind for the sale of, mm-hmm. the, of the house. A Monsieur Deruz. Deruz de Serrano de Belli, Lord of Candeville, Hershey's and many, many other fancy places. <laughs> right, okay. He is in the market for a new country estate. So Serrano de Bergerac is also in charge of some chocolate. <laughs> de Serrano de Berry. De Berry. De Berry. Oh, so he's in charge of Lord of Candeville and Hershey's. Hershey's. <laughs> so throughout this episode, you will be regaled with my excellent French pronunciation. I'm French it up, Nick. <laughs> so French it up. It's going to be. He is in the market for a new country retreat, somewhere to settle and start his own life with his new family. So they think perfect obviously a lordly noble chap he has many names he has many names he has many titles he's desperately (laughs) impressed no one's ever heard of him before no but he's got all these names and titles so he's bound to be fancy um and he mean he ticks all the boxes for the de la motte's i mean they're not going to sell the family home to any old commoner none of that (laughs) it needs to be put into good hands um someone who's going to look after it and continue the reputation that it has so there's quite a stringent almost interviewing process that Madame de Lamotte goes through to vet potential buyers. And they settle on Monsieur de Roux. He's known as such a pleasing and accommodating gentleman. He was said to have been very delicate to all appearances, strangely pale, slight, fragile in build, with his beardless chin and feminine cast of features. There was something cat-like in the soft, insinuating (laughs) smile of his seemingly most amiable, candid and pious of men. (laughs) 
He sounds a delight. <laughs> he sounds a delight, yes. <laughs> Part of me was like, is he a woman in disguise? Well, mm, you, you say this. Oh, good we, God. We, what, what? Have I just we will, ruined the story? You've ruined there. the story. Not quite, not quite. No, no, no. But um, we will... So he's a weird, paley kind but of he's, ghostly yes, figure. And if you see pictures of him, there are sort of sketches and stuff oh, of him. And he is, a yeah, a very slight, slender chap. But, oh, but he has this reputation and he comes across as the most charming of gentlemen so very pleasant kind of a quentin crisp sort of character potentially so yes indeed i mean say it is a pleasure to do business with monsieur de he is always cheerful optimistic um after one or two interviews are delighted um to have found this bar and they wholeheartedly go yes absolutely now monsieur Deru and his wife visit bousson Sef is the name of the mm-hmm. estate they visit several times during this whole process and they are themselves enchanted by what they what they see it's a it's a big estate lots of land they have vineyards uh, they produce a wine that is in, not exported but um sent all over the country and is well regarded wine a lovely lovely a lovely, lovely wine they produce a lovely wine that is well sought after and very well regarded. Delicious. Um, is it Blue Nun? <laughs> it is not Blue Nun, no. But it is piss. <laughs> By the end of December 1775, the sale is finalised. Everything is, is in order. Monsieur Deroux agrees to pay 130,000 livres, which in today's money is about £1.6 million. Bargain, mate. Bargain. don't know what that is in dollars. Probably about $2 million. $2 million. About $2 million. Let's just say that. So a considerable sum. And the payments are to be made in instalments. The first of 12,000 livres <laughs> is to be paid on the actual signing of the, the contracts. But in the meantime, as an act of good faith, Monsieur Deroux gives uh, Madame de la Motte like, a promissory note for 4,200 livres, which is due to be paid on the 1st of April. Right. So almost like a cheque to say, yeah. on the 1st of April, I agree, I will pay you this sum of money. And it's a legal document sort of thing. Okay, fine, um, Like fine. a forward-dated cheque. But, oh, but, so he's but, doing an so early payment. Exactly, before that, oh, as a good, good faith sort of thing, he's doing that now. I, I, well, <laughs> he says promises. He, he promises a bit of to paper. do this now. Look, that's as good as exactly. money. Exactly, on the bit of paper, <laughs> this is what I'm going to... Okay, This cool. is what I will give you. On the 1st of April. Now we're going to turn our attention to Monsieur Deroux himself. Okay. We need to have a chat about him, I feel. Shall we? I mean, no one's ever heard of him before no. Before this. Um, he Which is, is surprising with the name, the length well, that he exactly. has. Well, <laughs> exactly. I mean, he has just appeared on the Paris scene one day. Is he um, a ghost? Thing? He's not a ghost. He's actually a very real person. But he's, he's appeared, um, and he's appeared to be a, a very respectable gentleman on the lookout for this grand estate to settle his family and make his, make his name. But it turns out that Monsieur Deloux, de Solano de Belli, Lord of Canderville, Hershey's, etc., 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 is not quite who he claims to be. Surely not. Unsurprisingly, <gasps> not quite who he claims to be. Is he, is he, so he's not the Lord, is he only the Viscount? He is a mere, mere duke. <laughs> <laughs> That's higher than a Lord, yes. Nick. <laughs> but no, he's none of them. He's, He's not none even, of that. Jesus Christ. Not of, even a captain. Not even a captain. He's nothing. <laughs> I mean, so not only does he not have a drop of aristocratic blood anywhere near him, um, <laughs> he is as far from rich as you could possibly get. Oh, no. Um, he is a grocer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is a greengrocer, penniless, crippled with debt, but with big dreams. Wow. <laughs> But he's ambitious. He's um, he's ambitious. I'm going to quit this vegetable store. <laughs> exactly. Don't worry, darling. I have a plan. He has a plan. Oh my God, he has plans. <laughs> Bloody hell! He, so he, he's invented the longest name in the world. Yep, absolutely. He could have just stopped at the first bit. Well, uh, not as fancy. Mm. So suspicious. <laughs> suspicious. No, no one so far is suspicious. Well, yes. I mean, if he's been to visit all of them, he's, he's been done to all visit, of this and they've been absolutely. taken in by it. So he's charming. Clearly. Oh, he's yeah. desperately charming. Desperately charming. So, right. I mean, um, Anton Francois Duru was his name. He was born in Chartres in 1744. His father is a corn merchant. His Aww. mother is a housewife. But both his parents die when he's very young, three years old. And he has sent to live with relatives. As I, in my early description of him, um, he's described as having very delicate features uh, very feminine in, in appearance yes in one of the reports of his life it is actually claimed that for quite some time after his birth he was actually assumed to be female he was assumed to be right. a girl okay and it was not until he was 12 years old that an operation determined that he was actually male uh, okay i have questions so there was obviously some sort of intersex um really? and big like and big at birth they were not able to differentiate between oh. him being male or female so he was assumed to be 
female. And it was only until much later, we'll say he was 12 years old, when they actually didn't look. Well, they did, they did an operation um, crazy. to determine that he was actually oh, I know nothing biologically about... male. I mean, it is, it is a, a real thing. It no, does no, happen. I've, it's incredibly rare. But it is, it is possible. It's completely indeterminate. We cannot tell if he's... A boy or a girl at this time when he was when he's born and probably I mean incredibly weird for I mean a obviously child, he yeah, yeah a child of relatively humble background so he's not going to have like fancy court doctors and stuff like that yeah. it's going to be your local crazy midwife well is this a crazy this. midwife who didn't know what a penis looked well, like well <laughs> you would have thought by if they had to wait till he was twelve that someone would have noticed. Yes, um, yeah, I'm, that's that what I'm point, very much going um, on. Unless it was the same crazy midwife. Obviously, they're not going to be particularly experienced with these such rarities. So he's probably something quite of the quite the talking point, or something that was recorded and yes. remarked oh, upon. Poor thing. Um, so yeah, so, probably, awful so maybe not the most um, not not awful to have that, but but to grow up in that environment when no one yeah, understands. No one understands what's be so confused what's going on. But oh, yes, yeah, so at the age of twelve, lad. he is uh, yeah determined what's going on. But obviously, he has these very feminine attributes um about him so i mean apart from all that um he goes to live with his relatives and he is apprenticed to a grocer to make a career for himself you make a lot of money as a well, grocer and he France. does do incredibly well um and in 1770 um he's actually able to set up his own business in paris so he's in his early 20s he's been so successful that he's now got his own his own store but he has always believed that he is destined for better things this this is not where his life is meant to be as being mm. a grocer no matter how good he is at it there is something better out there in 1772 he marries um and causes quite a stir amongst his friends um and acquaintances by claiming that his new wife is actually of noble birth um oh. and an heiress now the the first statement is entirely bollocks there is nothing noble about her whatsoever she a great big slut She's not, no, she's not a great big slab, no. Uh. Her name is Marie-Louise Nicolet. She's the daughter of an artillery officer, which is no bad thing, but no bad thing. not aristocratic. But what he does, he removes the S from the end of her name, which Daru is also careful to erase on the, the marriage contract. And he is able to connect his wife with the noble house of Nicolai. Oh. Um, one of the most distinguished and great of French noble houses. Yes. So just by smudging out that S, really? his wife in name has turned into someone quite important. Mm. There's a bit more truth in the statement that um, Madame de Roux is an heiress. She actually, she is. A distant relative of her mother has become heir to the Marquis d'Esprez, distantly related. Now, the Marquis is known as a rude, solitary, brutal man, devoted to sport. He lives alone in his castle of Candeville, which is where he's Duru has stolen, uh, nice the, like stolen the title from. But he is hated by his neighbours. He's just a, a thoroughly despised man. It's a bit like Roy Keane. And one day he is found laying dead in his bedroom. Oh, good God. Shot in the chest. Wow. The window open. The assassin <laughs> has escaped. Of course. So, <laughs> of course, that's what happens. Yes. And, and the, I mean, this mystery, this murder is actually never solved. No one. So hated, shot so in his own hated. bed and someone fled. So his estate was divided amongst three cousins, whom the mother of Madame Duru is one of. Right. Now, Duru is convinced that this inheritance that his mother-in-law is in line for is going to be the solution to all his problems. So my mother-in-law is going to inherit a third of the Marquis' estate, and my life is sorted. This is what we've had before mm. with people going, oh, there's going to be an inheritance, and no one reads the fine print. They yeah. just go, oh, an inheritance is coming. I will give up my job. I'm going yeah. to buy this armoire. I'm going to buy all this art, and the inheritance is for Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's not just going for the armoire. He's going for the whole fucking estate <laughs> yeah. filled with armoires. <laughs> he's just turning um. up and thinking, like, I have nine armoires. <laughs> I need somewhere to put them. I yeah. hope you have an armoise room. So, I mean, he is convinced that this is his way out of the life of a lowly grocer. Um, but five years pass. The inheritance and the estate is still going through all the courts. People are challenging it Ew. in this limbo status and no money has been paid out whatsoever. And if Duru is to receive any of this money, which in itself is probably very unlikely after five years of court fees and lawyers and all that sort of stuff, probably a pittance left out of it, not going to be sufficient to cover his own debts, let alone buying a fancy house somewhere in the country. So his financial situation is relatively critical. And he is obviously certainly not content with the money of a modest income he's going to, he gets as a, as a grocer. So in a somewhat foolhardy attempt to increase his fortunes, uh, he becomes a money lender. 
Okay. But not just any moneylender, but a moneylender to sort of somewhat spendthrifts and embarrassed nobles. Oh, that's clever. Well, okay. it's it, clever, okay. clever in theory. Clever in theory. So, I mean, he is delighted to receive sort of dukes and marquises and all these sorts of aristocrats to his home who come looking for a, a bailout. But they're not going to pay him back, This is. This they're is, not going to give a shit. <laughs> this is a problem that he encounters. So he himself borrows money at a relatively low interest rate and then he then lends that money to these fancy noble people at a higher Fuck rate of sake. interest, yeah. thinking, well, I'm going to make my money back and then I can to pay off... To these rich people who these, need to borrow to money. These, yeah, these really right. desperately fancy rich Ugh. people who aren't that rich because they need to borrow money from me. Never a so, lender nor a borrower be. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but this, this sort of smiling grocer, he receives people in his... A flowered dressing gown. Quite a fla- yes. Quite a flamboyant sort of chap. He's definitely Quentin Crisp. He's yeah. Quentin Crisp. <laughs> he wears it, and he's pictured actually with this strange sort of bonnet thing going on. Great. Um, he's always ready to oblige um, a request from someone fancy, ingratiate himself with a another <laughs> noble house sort of thing. Is this, is this what he um, thinks that fancy people want when oh, he comes sure. to the house? So he's he's going, I better dress up. And so he's put on a giant flowery dressing gown and a lady's bonnet. <laughs> and the dukes are probably coming in here going, great, I can borrow from him because he's fucked. Get what crazy. Insane. Absolutely. This aristocratic money lending proves hopeless, as we've said. Um, it plunges him deeper and deeper into disaster. The noblemen either forget to pay, um, they can't be bothered with some little flowery bonnety flowery man, man <laughs> or they die, and it, it discovers that he, they are entirely penniless. Yeah. And their much more substantial debts get paid off first. And him who's lent them a few hundred quid, or the equivalent of, is probably right at the bottom of the pile of people to get paid back. And he never receives a penny of this money. This is not a good claim. And he is driven to ordering goods from his grocery store on credit from his suppliers and selling them at a lower price just so he can get the cash flow going. Oh, God. So he's making a loss, but he needs that the money. So that's fending off some some more creditors for just a little bit longer um, it's not a happy place it's not good I mean people are starting starting to tire of the sort of his claims this inheritance is going to come through at any moment next week I'm going to be as rich as anything I will pay you back in full with interest not a problem now he said that a few too many times yeah really not entirely sure it's bollocks so so Paris is getting a bit too a bit too hot it's getting a bit there's, there's a few too many people wanting a piece of piece of him if only he could find a nice quiet country retreat where he might recuperate enjoy perhaps a bit of the lifestyle of a a country gentleman just just get a cottage just get a cottage just do what you did get a cottage (laughs) with a nice fire and some bottles of wine and just go and recoup there you don't need a fucking palace well he does because then you can make your own wine oh god so Oh yeah, he's onto a money spinner there. You know what? If I buy this this estate, I'll make my own wine. I'm I'm, I'm quids in. I'm putting money in my own pocket. So I don't want to pronounce him as sort of a Del Boy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all right. Next year, millionaires, millionaires. Bloody hell! But I mean, nothing is going to stop his ambition and his overwhelming desire to become a gentleman. Not to, even failure. Constantly. Not even. Not absolutely. Absolutely not. He's going to be something with a fancy title. He's convinced he is going to do it. At the beginning of 1775, he actually purchases a relatively modest country house near Rui, and he promises to pay nine thousand livres for the for the property, but he can't afford it. And non-payment uh, results in the complete annulment of this contract. And again, once again, he is sort of credit status, as it were, is downgraded again. But still, he is undefeated. He is not <laughs> deterred. He is going to go for it. Having failed to pay 9,000 livres for this modest estate near Rui. I mean, he has no hesitation in committing to pay 130,000 livres uh, from the lordly estate of Boussoncef. I mean, this is like gambling addiction, isn't oh, it? Oh, completely. This is totally absolutely the same foolhardy I can do this i will be able to raise the money complete faith in the system play the odds my money's going to come in soon absolutely oh exactly so Um, i mean i mean so great is his confidence um and his pride he practices his new signature and new 
titles. You bloody better. It's huge. Um, <laughs> so Anton Francois... What's the printing on oak trees? <laughs> Antoine Francois de Serrano Dure de Belle Signor de Boussoncef. Like, how many Durs did he put Oh, there's, there? a lot of, there's a lot of Durs going on there. No <laughs> one had that sort of name. That's even that. Even... No. Oh, exactly. I mean, the, the aristocracy will be laughing at that title. Because it is so... Because like, I... Yeah, I'm like... Duke and of, the Duke and I'm Commodore... The, and... I'm the Duke of Burgundy. So... <laughs> Small to the point. <laughs> That's what I need. Pick a place, mate. Pick a but, um, place. No, he's very carried away with his his titles and his yeah. Can't wait to sign anything. <laughs> Absolutely, brings out he's... the biggest quill you've ever seen from his bonnet. From his bonnet. I mean, as we know from earlier, the, the first payment is due at the beginning of April, seventeen seventy six, for the estate. But instead of making it, he can't make it. Um, Derus actually goes down to Boussoncef with his his daughter his young daughter, and he stays there as a guest of the de Lamont for six months. He is a, He is able, with his charm and his good humour and general general loveliness, he wins over everyone. And he stays as guests of the de Lamont for six, he and his daughter, for six months. Okay, on one hand, maybe, maybe these people are so boring and he's so charming <laughs> that he's delightful and he, any time that their attention wanes for a second, he gets the daughter to dance or something. Quick, you're a grand old flag, you're a... <laughs> or, or... This has been written over the time that he must have been so charming. He just won't fucking leave. Pretend. Well, then... going to... He doesn't live there. He's just moved in with his child. And there's just well, a guy living in your house. And if someone won't leave and you're being polite, going, but yeah, I think the Duke to, won't leave. I think you've got to think that these, this time, this is not like houses that we have now. These are no, much... I, these are it, much it, bigger... No, I, I completely understand that. Lived in France for a while. Not at that time, obviously. In 1775? Yes. Yes, okay. I did. I went back in time and that's what I chose to do with my life. Didn't save JFK. Didn't do anything else. But yes, in those houses, of course, people would go and stay for a period of time. But it, mm, that's still pushing it. That's still pushing it when they oh, know yeah. nothing about this guy. And you can only be charming for so long. But Just he's... go and move into a wing. <laughs> But, but, but he's, is he he's in there? We don't know. Maybe they didn't know he was there. They were just rattling well, around so, for ages. Exactly. It's lost a, in a spiral It's such a big staircase. place that they haven't seen him for months, so they assume he's gone. <laughs> so. He turns up every now and then just to get more sausages. Yeah. <laughs> Saucy song, excuse me. I mean, the, the, the village priest um, especially loves having him around. He loves the company of such a devout and pious visitor. Um, so they have they have great chats, wandering uh, through the countryside, debating theological matters and such like. Lovely. He's a, he I, 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 I do kind of love this guy. I am, I am fully here oh, for the yeah. fact that he can bring, he can win everyone over. Oh, he completely He's just can. lying about God for ages and winging it. Oh, completely. <laughs> he entertains his friends um, by dressing up as a woman, by being a, f- a female impersonator, um, which he's of, he's got the characteristics for Again, uh, since I'm birth. Again, I'm going to go back to Quentin Chris, but that yeah. would be the one person that you would, you would have <laughs> <laughs> no problem staying in the chateau going you stay it mate stay yeah absolutely every night let's so have a drink you imagine he must have been such an entertaining and yeah. probably have all these anecdotes. they're probably complete bollocks but he's able to come yeah. up with these stories having said all of that i kind of really want this guy to win yeah. now. he sounds like he's got balls but he's entertained i don't mind if you're pushy as long as you're fucking entertaining oh, absolutely. About it. exactly as long as you're yeah you'll bring I'm something sure to the party cook up a storm as well he's got many so, vegetables i mean if the subject of the house purchase is ever brought up he he sort of he goes on a, off on a rant about the the delay and the chicanery of lawyers Bastards. um it was that alone that has postponed this inheritance as soon as the lawyers are out of the way the money will come through and he can pay straight away yeah. but it is all someone else's fault but, but as time goes on no payment is forthcoming and the Delamont do begin to feel a little questioning about okay have we made the right choice is this really going to go anywhere so Delamont does depart in November he leaves and returns to Paris um, and Monsieur Delamont decides to send his wife to Paris to make a few discreet inquiries to, about what is going on with this inheritance mm-hmm. and possibly try and put some pressure, help speed things along slightly. And on her trip, she takes um, her, their 14-year-old son. Now, when Monsieur de Roux finds out about the, the impending visit of Madame de Lamotte, he goes into a panic. If she is allowed to sort of wander freely throughout Paris talking to people, she is going to find out. He is not 
who he is claiming to be, and the whole thing is going to fall apart. That is not going to do at all. If she is going to visit, then it's going to be as his guest in return for their hospitality. So he sends an invitation. Yeah, she could be good. Out a few things if she's staying at the house. Maybe so. Save absolutely. Save save a few pounds on the on the fancy hotels and what have you. Yep. So in De- December sixteenth, seventeen seventy six, Madame de Lamotte arrives in Paris and begins her stay at the Ver de Luz house. Her son is actually placed in a private school in a neighbouring street. Now to Delu there is one sort of immediate problem that needs to be solved. How to keep Boussoncef uh, without paying for it. Aww. He wants this estate, he cannot afford it. Unfortunately, he does have a plan. He really? has a plan ready to be booked into action. He will make a payment to Madame de Lamotte. Okay. She is then going to disappear taking her son with her. Now, before becoming Madame de Lamotte, she had been Monsieur de Lamotte's mistress. And her child was actually born out of wedlock. (gasps) So there is already this sort of... Not... Yes, exactly. Hint of scandal, some impropriety. And that is only going to add lend weight to the story that de Monsieur de Roux paid for the estate, gave all the money to Madame de Lamotte, and she then ran off with a lover. She vanished, taking her son... Vanish with a lover, never to be seen again. Um, he will then produce the necessary documents proving that he has paid this money and Boussoncef will be his. Now, there is slight one complication in this plan. The plan does hinge around the disappearance, willingly or unwillingly, of Madame de Lamotte and her son. <laughs> they are required to be not seen ever again. Now, Madame de Lamotte has you settled... throw an Indian throw over her. Yes, and, and then she's can't vanished. Can't even see her. Can't see her. She's gone. Yeah, it's like clutter. Yeah, she's gone. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Madame de Lamotte um, has settled down quite nicely and she is quite comfortable with the hospitality of the uh, Monsieur uh, Madame de Roux. And she has shown no sign of pressing for this money or making any inquiries. She has spent a month enjoying Paris, catching up with old friends, visiting museums and galleries and having a generally jolly time. Paris is lovely. Paris is lovely, absolutely. Doing a sightseeing. Christmas. It was towards the end of January that her health and the health of her son begins to fail. (coughs) Oh, there's there's the coughing and the spluttering and the... Stomach aches. Oh no. Madame de Lamotte is seized by sickness. No. Um, and by the 30th of January, she is confined to her bed. Monsieur Deroux continues to write to her husband that his wife is well, business is almost completed, it's all going well, she'll be back soon as anything. Not nothing untoward is going on whatsoever. <laughs> if he writes that into the letter, yeah. then that's some sort of indication. <laughs> nothing untoward nothing. is going on whatsoever. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Perhaps that was a PS. I don't know. <laughs> PS scrubbed out many times. Uh, loving kisses. <laughs> on the 31st of January, the servant at the house is told to go home. You are not needed for the day. Go and visit your mother or something. Just get out of the house. <laughs> okay. Get out of here. His wife, Monsieur Drew's wife and children are sent out of the house to run some errands. Uh-huh. Drew is alone with his ailing patient in the house. Later that evening, a friend comes to dine with the Duru, and he, the friend asks, "Can I? Can I see Madame de Lamotte? I want. I hear she's unwell. I'd like to give her my best wishes. Impossible. She is far too frail, but making a splendid recovery. Oh, good. She'll be good, better. Good. Back on her feet any day now. Now the young de Lamotte, her son, also visits that evening, saying, "Can I see my mother? I know she's unwell. I'd like to give, give her my best." And Duru actually takes him up to the room. But the light is so dim, all he can see is a a figure lying in the bed, apparently asleep. He creeps out quietly, not wanting to disturb or wake his his mother. The next day, Madame Deroux is again sent out shopping. Go and buy yourself something fancy. Go and buy a frock. Once again, Deroux is alone with his patient. But she is a patient no longer. (gasps) She is a corpse. No! Now, this highly successful medicine has worked just as planned. Oh my goodness. Later that day, Drew comes out of the house and summons some porters. And with their help, he loads a heavy trunk onto a carriage. (laughs) (laughs) A big leather travelling trunk onto a carriage. And it's taken to a house a few streets away where he he has rented out the cellar to store some wine. 
Of course. Put the wine in the cellar. I need a cellar. I hear you put wine in a cellar. <laughs> this is a damn horrible... Just put the fucking put the wine, in there, no, right? That's where the wine lives. This is where the wine is going to go. It doesn't clink. It seems to be moaning somewhat. That's what wine does <laughs> what when wine it's maturing. does, absolutely. It's mature wine. Right. Are you a connoisseur? You're just a porter. <laughs> Bloody put it in there. Exactly. I'm something fancy. I know what I'm talking about. But you know how many names I have. <laughs> <laughs> now, that evening, the young Delamotte uh, again pays a visit and is told by a beaming Monsieur de Roux that his mother has made a full recovery right. she is right as rain and she has left for versailles to go and find the son uh, a position at court and we'll go and see her in a day or two he says a few days after that um he hires some workmen to dig a hole in the cellar floor of the cellar he has, he has rented giving his reasons that there's no better way of keeping wine than burying it <laughs> <laughs> Which we all know to be absolutely true. Yeah, a lot of people did. To buried be fair. wine is better wine. Buried wine is good <laughs> is wine. Good wine. But the more buried the wine, the gooder it is. Exactly. <laughs> so when the hole is deep enough, he sends right. the workman on his way, going, "I will bury the wine. I will do it in the special, <laughs> special wine burying way. Um, <laughs> so I will, I will deal with that myself." I'm trained in this. It yeah, exactly. Duru <laughs> is seen for a few days, coming and going from the cellar, and then until finally he is actually observed quite happily carrying out this large, large leather trunk. La 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 la. Off I go with my large leather trunk. After that, he is never seen on the street again. Wednesday, the February the 12th, a Monsieur Boupère of Commercy arrives at Versailles with his nephew. Monsieur Boupère is a very pale, slight, slightly feminine gentleman um, who seems to be very jolly in excellent spirits, um, in spite of the fact that his supposed nephew, nephew is desperately ill. Looks very, very sick. Very, very unwell. The innkeeper who they're, they're staying with um, suggests that he should definitely call a doctor for his nephew who does not not appear well at all but monsieur Papere says that is quite unnecessary i have no faith in doctors his illness is due to venereal disorders wow that's so, mean it, it is how a pr- old is the son well he says that he's claimed to be 14 so i mean it is a priest this boy needs not a doctor okay i have issues with both of that (laughs) so yeah yeah, venereal disease will help by praying apparently yeah absolutely that's the way to get through it all well yeah Um, and through the cause of it too yeah (laughs) thursday and friday the boy's conditions shows no improvement vomiting continues he is writhing in agony on saturday Monsieur Bepaire declares himself as delighted that the success of his medicine. He's going to be right as rain. That night he's dead. Right. He did not go oh, quite no. as well. Oh dear. The following day, Louis Anton Bupère, aged 22 and a half, on his gravestone, is buried at Versailles. 22 and a half? That's what he's claimed to be on the, oh my God. the gravestone. 14. But he's he actually 14. Oh my God. And he is buried at Versailles. His deeply pious uncle leaves the priest with six leave to pay for prayers for his nephew's soul well that's good for him that evening monsieur Delou, back in paris back in his, his lovely home da, 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 uh, da, invites, down the moulin rouge exactly why he invites all his friends for dinner to celebrate he has reunited the young de Lamotte with his mother in versailles they are now happily Ever after, he has paid for the Boussonsef estate in full. The best joke of all, he says, is no sooner that they have settled the business than she has gone off with a former lover. <laughs> she has run off her and her son, run off with the money, run off with his lover, and would all probability never be heard of again. <laughs> Monsieur Jouleau has in his possession a deed of sale that he has claimed has been signed by Madame de Lamotte mm-hmm. um, and a document acknowledging the payment to her of um a hundred thousand leave so she he has got all this in writing clever boy at Boussonsef, monsieur de lamotte is waiting for news from his wife on saturday 17th the day after the return of derue from versailles he hears from madame derue that his wife has left paris and gone with his son to versailles um a second letter tells him they have completed the sale it's all gone through fantastically all is well i'm sure you're here any day now Lovely. Days pass, nothing. No. Nothing is heard from Madame de Lamotte. On the 28th of February, Duru, accompanied by the parish priest, he actually arrives to Boussonsef. And initially, Monsieur de Lamotte is delighted to see the man. Perhaps he'll get some news of his wife, but he's bitterly disappointed when Duru can only tell him that what he's already been told, that his wife has sold their estate and 
But fuck off. It's all falling into place. It's all well. Monsieur Delamotte is not convinced, though, by this. I mean, how all of a sudden has Duru found a 100,000 livres out of nowhere, <laughs> um, where he had pennies before? Where has all this money come from? And Duru says he's borrowed it from a friend. It's a very generous friend. Yeah, suddenly, To give 1.6 million pounds. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Do you not have friends um, like that? Unfortunately, Think if you not. ever needed 1.6 million friends, pounds, I would probably find someone to get that. <laughs> That's very kind. But and there is no use talking about it. That the place is now his. He owns it. He's got signed documents. So you have no right to be here anymore. Get out of my house. Ooh, the um, bitchy side of him coming out. The bitchy side is starting to come out, absolutely. Of course, he's desperately sorry that his wife has gone off and left him without a penny, but it's really not my problem. Um, <laughs> um, I, mean, I mean, also, I mean, I've already sold 40 casks of last year's vintage, so would you mind sending them off as well? That'd be great. If you could just do, if you could do that for me, um, that'd, that'd, be, that'd be great. I mean, Delamont is furious. He is absolutely livid at the arrogance of this little upstart. He tells Daru that this story is a pack of lies utter nonsense he is still master at Boussoncef and not a bottle of wine will leave it without his say so I know something has happened to my wife and child I'm coming to Paris myself and it is if it is as I fear you shall answer for it with your head Yes. So he is. He's on the. He's on the. Good for path. him. Absolutely. Good for him, though, because he trusted his wife and he gave his wife. Yeah, you know, it's like you go and do the business. Yeah, now, but I have faith in you. I have faith in you. She wouldn't run off on him. And yeah. I believe him. No, yeah. indeed. I mean, Delu is is worried. I mean, Delamar, He is still a powerful influential noble he has got friends in paris he's got friends at court the grocer will be no match for him i mean lawsuits are expensive the results are uncertain and it's Um, all going to come tumbling down and it's all going to come out in the yeah absolutely under interrogation this is all going to come out but what is he going to do and he asks his friends what is he going to do i don't know how much he divulges to his friends about his Mm. plans what is he going to do and the general opinion is that well fresh news of madame de lamotte um her reappearance would probably settle things entirely if she was to make an appearance if she was to write a letter then any question of her disappearance or anything untoward would be settled because she has made contact she's not disappeared now monsieur deroux ponders this and goes well i've made her disappear i i can make her reappear absolutely (laughs) because he is a magician because he is a magician on the evening of 7th of March, uh, Monsieur Desportes of Paris hires a room in uh, the Hotel Blanc in Lyon. On the following day, he goes out early in the morning, leaving word that should a lady whom he was expecting call, she was to be shown up to his, his room. The same Sexy. morning, a gentleman resembling Monsieur Desportes of Paris um, bought two ladies' dresses at a shop in Lyon. That same afternoon, a lady dressed in black silk with a hood well drawn down over her <laughs> eyes called into the office of a notary a monsieur pura oh come on the lady gives her name as madame de lamotte mm-hmm. um and asks to write up a contract that is to be sent to her husband that would give him the interest that is due on thirty thousand livres so in theory some of this money that she has stolen yes will go to support her husband but, but i here, feel bad i feel bad have the interest that is accruing on this this sum of money. Is she saying all of this in a kind of like, yes, my husband wanted me to lose this kind of voice? Yeah, French, obviously. Much in all, more in, all in French is much more sexy. <laughs> now, Madame de Lamotte claims to be have recommended to Monsieur Pora by um, a person he knows, a respectable businessman. He has no reason to distrust Madame de Lamotte, and he draws up the necessary documents. Madame de Lamotte says that I will not have time to wait around in Lyon for these to be finished and finalised and things. Mm-hmm. So, can you send them off to the Paris priest near Boussoncef and deliver them to him and he will then take them to my husband and he can then claim in theory this money okay now when Monsieur Dupont uh, returns to the hotel he is told that Madame de Lamotte has called twice during his absence <laughs> and asked for him but she could not stay no. Um, she had places to be and of she course. could she could not wait she she came in her magnificent beard was, was, was <laughs> needed, oh no she was beardless oh, he so. was he was definitely beardless yes but, I mean, coughing I, and just kind of scratching his Adam's apple the size of his head but I mean I, I, mean, I have to say I mean, cr- all credit all to credit him. to I mean, this man there are wheels within wheels of this <laughs> plot I mean there are alibis and witnesses and things all over the bloody place oh my god it is quite incredible he's got he's, he's got he's got a touch for the, the dramatic oh god yes absolutely the theatrical side of him 
him and I am here I for it. love it. But unfortunately, in Paris, things are not going quite as smoothly oh, as they are in Lyon. Monsieur de Lamotte has, has finally got his arse out of Boussoncef and arrived in Paris. He goes straight to the lieutenant of police, who places the investigation in the hands of a, quite a senior magistrate. Now, at first, the magistrate believes that the case is one of fraud and that Madame de Lamotte and her son are actually being imprisoned somewhere um, and held by Monsieur de Roux. But as he investigates further, he discovers the sort of tale of the illness, the, the date of the disappearances, uh, the reputed documents that have been signed by Madame de Lamotte. And he is very suspecting that this is actually a case of murder. Murderousness. Entirely murderous. There's murderousness going on. <laughs> when Deru returns to Paris from Lyon on the March the 11th, he finds that the police have already visited his house, questioned his wife, and that he is actually under close surveillance. Um, now, how he knows that, potentially French policemen behind pillar boxes and things like that spying on him. Um, <laughs> They're just all, all on bicycles. All with on baguettes. bicycles, absolutely. Just, just cycling past the same house 20 <laughs> times a day. A day or two later, Later, when the new power of attorney arrives, the signature is compared with that of the deed of sale of Boussoncef that Deru has presented. Mm. Both are pronounced to be forgeries. This is not my wife's signature. Deru is arrested and he is sent to prison. Ah, the bastard. Now, under the stress of interrogation, stress, <laughs> pokey, pokey, pokey things. But then, you know, given given his touch for the theatrics, I'm thinking, okay, fine. He's 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 great at the theatrics, and they go, okay, well, let's just interrogate him, and they just touch one fingernail. I'll yeah. tell you everything. I mean, God, I mean, after, I, mean yeah, I would be exactly the same. I mean, I mean, you threaten me with anything sharp, I'll tell you whatever if I can like. I am going to turn up the heat just a bit too much, so yeah. it's uncomfortably humid. Oh, that my friends are under a bus. <laughs> So, I'm going to give you a warm white wine. No! no you bastards! <laughs> it was Sinead, it was all her. She planned the whole thing. <laughs> so under this warm white wine interrogation, <laughs> his rather it. flimsy financial claims fall to pieces. Mm-hmm. He has to admit that he has actually never paid Madame de Lotte Mott uh, 100,000 leave. Um, he says he only paid her 25,000. A, a, um, a piddling amount. Made up in mainly of gold, some promissory notes, but mainly a, just a big old stack of gold. But where that gold has come from, he is unable to unable to say. <laughs> Still, I mean, he thinks his position is not that bad. Hmm. Madame Lamotte is not there. He cannot be charged with anything in murder until there's no body. It's equally reasonable to suspect that she has run off than he has done anything untoward. Yeah. A month passed, and Madame Deru has probably tried to make things better, tried to help her husband, but she has come up with a rather ill-thought-out plan and follows her husband's example by trying to impersonate Madame de Lamotte in oh, Paris. for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> and to prove her aliveness. It did not go well. She is also arrested and imprisoned. God, what um, did she do? I don't know, unfortunately. Did she, exactly. put on, like, did she just put on a bad... Dr- she's a woman already. She is also, yes, she, she is indeed a woman. She put on a um, terrible wig and go around shouting in the streets, yeah. I'm Madame So-and-so. Well, perhaps she dressed up as a husband who was dressed up as Madame de Lamotte, <laughs> but it, it did not go well. Um, <laughs> so it is instantly found um, and she well, is arrested and That is literally like a, like a cartoon kind of thing. Like, I'm going to go out and impersonate her, scene missing, into the police station instantly. <laughs> oh, that escalated quickly on april the 18th information is received by the authorities leading them to a wine cellar now i don't know what this information was unfortunately whether they found out well he must have paid for this wine cellar somehow but they were going through his record and say oh he's paying rent on this cellar or something like that but they discover a disturbed floor and a distinct lack of wine um (laughs) and they think this is not quite right. Yes. Perhaps he's buried his wine, they think. Let's There's dig it up. one policeman at the back going, I hear if you bury the wine, it actually improves its flavour. Yes. And they're like, where exactly are you from? <laughs> so they do unearth a corpse. Um, Madame de Lamotte's no. corpse. Um, at, ref- at first, Derue refuses to accept that they are the remains of Madame de Lamotte. It's nothing to do with him. He hasn't been in that cellar for months. It could have been planted <laughs> any time. It's anyone, just coincidence I was in that cellar once. Anyone could have pushed it there and stolen his wine um, yeah, yes. and replaced it with a corpse. That's um, the ultimate prank. <laughs> absolutely. Um, he then goes on to say, well, I okay, I did give her. She was ill. I did give her some harmless medicine, but one morning I woke up and she was dead. Entirely nothing to do with him, but out of fear, fear that her husband would accuse him of something terrible, he decides he's got to, got to hide the body. Uh, <laughs> 
Okay, well, the justified fear, I think. I mean, just, justified fear, absolutely. I mean, he also confesses at this point that her son has also died of this same illness and that he has also been buried. It's all unravelling now. It's all it? desperately yeah. unravelling. On the 20th of 30th April, the body of the young Delamotte and mm. um, is, is exhumed. Both bodies are examined and they declare them, the doctors declare themselves satisfied that mother and son have both died from a bitter and corrosive poison <gasps> administered by some kind of drink. Ooh. They did not confirm exactly what poison had been used at this point. But on later investigation, it was believed that both deaths were caused by corrosive sublimate. Ooh. Mercury chloride. Mercury! That we, we have encountered before. Yes, very only rarely. once. Yes, I think indeed. only once in this, in this time. Mercury chloride. So nice. Corrosive, yes, corro- oh, nasty. Which is exactly going to oh, do desperately unpleasant things during Blah. the side. Now, justice moves swiftly in Paris. Trial lasts one day. Uh, he maintains that he has not poisoned anyone. His only crime, he says, lay in concealing the deaths. He admits to that, but I did not kill anyone. Mm-hmm. Madame de Roux says, It is Boussoncef that has ruined us. I always <laughs> told my husband that he was mad to buy these properties. Well, yeah, it seems um, she's right. Yeah, well, he says, she says, I'm sure my husband is not a poisoner. I trusted my husband and believed every word he says. Um, somewhat naive if that's true the court sweet and stupid sweet and stupid court sentences Duru to death deferred judgement on his wife's case because she is pregnant 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 (laughs) so yes love it love the pregnancy thing they defer the judgement at six o'clock in the morning on May the 6th Duru is taken to a room a terrifying scary room and subjected to torture oh he has already been condemned to death but they felt it'd be better if he confessed we better for his soul if he confessed so we can help him with that confession not surely not not a warm margarita (laughs) now the doctors declare him too delicate to undergo i would be i would be 100 behind that i'm too delicate you may recall um the tale of the marquis de brunevillier a while back and she was subjected to the extraordinary torture of having to force water down her throat now yeah drew was said no he will not survive this um (laughs) Because he has have, to survive, doesn't he? Yeah. So he can be burned. Or, or, oh, well, exactly. Or, or so they decide to go with the slightly less severe torture of the boot. Okay. Oh, the oh, brain overload. Sorry. <laughs> He's going to get in a booting. <laughs> Sorry, Simpsons He's, reference. Simpsons, yeah. <laughs> there are Simpsons fans all over going, it's a booting, just a little kick in the bum. That's it. No, this is slightly more unpleasant. <laughs> oh, they're just kicking with an ordinary uh, shoe. I believe it's a wingtip. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> In, in fact, they his legs are encased in wood, and wooden wedges are then hammered through. Oh, fuck off! Until the flesh is crushed and the oh, bones are oh, broken. Oh, oh, oh. That's uh, not booting. No, that's or, not a booting. It's it's a very unpleasant form of booting. Um, it's nothing to do with boots. <laughs> oh, oh no, because the boots go up because, to the knee. Yeah, because oh, he's wearing like wooden. Oh, just kick him with a boot. Come on. <laughs> no, no, but he does. He confesses oh, oh. to nothing. He does not give any confession. Really? I mean, that sounds. I mean, unbelievably painful. Obviously, um, you know you're going to die. Anyway. And he confesses. Oh, wow. He confesses. He confesses to, to nothing. Fair that afternoon, he is taken to Notre Dame, um, and in front of the cathedral in the square, his sentence is read to the huge crowd that have been gathered. Again, he protests his and his wife's innocence. Hmm. Unlike the Marquis de Brunvillier before him, whose noble birth affords some sort of gentler treatment, Duru has to endure everything that the law will throw at him the square is full the windows of the overlooking houses people actually pay to get the best viewing spots um that's awful and i would totally yeah people bring stools and ladders (laughs) so that and snacks (laughs) so they can get a better view of what's going on he is strapped to the wheel uh his bones and the limbs are smashed by an iron bar he is thrown alive onto the fire um, and his ashes are then scattered into the wind. Um, and people clam around to grab a handful of ashes as a souvenir, like they would in in the UK or in England, get a piece of the hangman's rope yes. from Tyburn as a souvenir. They, they scramble to get handfuls of ashes from the fire. Two months after the execution of her husband, Madame Duru gives birth to a baby boy who is swiftly taken away. The judgment of her case goes on for years still. Many just want to get it over and done with, forget about the whole thing, sentence her for fraud, 
But Monsieur de Lamont, he is not content. He wants vengeance. Mm. Uh, he is not satisfied with the execution of her husband. He wants her to suffer. Um, he is even found to have bribed witnesses to say that Madame de Roux has actually played a much greater part in this than she actually had. Bloody. Eventually, Parliament decide to be done with the whole thing. They convene a secret session. She is sentenced to be publicly flogged, to be branded on both shoulders with Ooh. a letter V. Uh, v for um, Valouse, which is mm. a thief yeah. or robber, and then imprisoned for life. Wow. Why brand her if she's going to be in prison? It hurts. Mm, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> flogging hurts. You've got to, got to get something in there. Mm. Um, ten years pass. A fellow prisoner describes Madame de Roux as a scheming malicious capable of anything. She is accused of being violent, wishing to revenge herself by setting fire to Paris. Wow. <laughs> That is pretty much the end of Madame de Roux. She dies in prison. The revolution, the French Revolution kicks off. Um, at one point of the revolution, they storm the prisons and massacre everyone inside. Really? She um, died in and massacre? And she, she dies. She's one of the prisoners oh. to die in the in oh, massacre used of the prisons. That is a tale of Antoine de really fancy name de Roux. <laughs> <laughs> and Yay! a crazy, crazy tale. Fantastic. Um, full of cross-dressing poisoners. Which is, who'd have thought we needed more of them? It's exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I love it. That's a, a great story. It's a good story. Oh, I like him. I like him <laughs> because he's ballsy. Oh, God, yeah. He must be fun at the party. He must have been so much fun. He must have been theatric and just, he probably probably meant for a life on the stage or one of those very arrogant kind of, I'm going to be a star and really charming oh. and fun, but but actually he's a bit of a wanker. <laughs> And then the cross-dressing, oh, for God's sake. Then wine must be buried. <laughs> that story had everything. Love it had, yes. Lots and lots of sinus and lots of terrifying oh, things. Oh, good. And torture. A bit of torture. A bit of torture. End. We always like a bit of torture. I don't know. Booting, I'm never going to look at the same way again. <laughs> the whole of the Simpsons Australia episode was playing through my head there. Excellent. Well, if that's put you in the mood for red wine. <laughs> red wine in a boot. Red wine in a boot. And a good booting. And um, cross-dressing as well. Just Absolutely. have some red wine. Do some cross-dressing. I see, see how the far pictures. you get. It's, uh, it's Friday night. Uh, for some of you, it's in lockdown. So put on a bonnet, uh, drink some wine, and see how far this goes. See how, yeah, where the evening takes you. Fantastic story, as always, Nick. What do you think, guys? What do you think of the French poisoners? Another one from the 1700s. We fucking love the 1700s. Oh, they're great, absolutely. It's, it's such a good time. Stories. You know what? During lockdown, during this weekend, everyone dress up in the style of the 1700s, in the style of all the French nobles. Oh, and a flowery dressing gown. Yeah, a flowery dressing gown and a bonnet. Take pictures, because otherwise it's just bleak if you're doing this in your house alone. <laughs> um, and yeah, send us your thoughts and send us your pictures. We're going into lockdown. Keep positive, keep happy, and uh, keep listening to us. And send us suggestions of more stories. You've got time in your hands now, some of you. <laughs> so send us suggestions of stories you want to hear or anything else that we can do to make lockdown a little cheerier for you. Come and visit us on the social media. Have a chat. Come and find us on Patreon loads of extra content on there if you are looking for christmas gifts uh, two parts to this on one hand do consider the poisoner cabinet merch we've got loads of things in there but if you are thinking about christmas and you're in lockdown you're thinking about what to do shop local support local independent businesses we cannot stress this enough quite i agree yeah support each other reach out to friends and family reach out to us reach out to other podcasts and stay really positive and healthy and happy we have been the people inside the poisoner's cabinet we will see you next week and remember your loved ones are trying to kill you Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.